that you meditated on a passage of scripture, that you just took one sentence and just dwelt there in your heart. For most of us, we don't do it at all, right? We're lucky if we can get a chapter in, a paragraph. Due to the special circumstances of his birth, Sarah and Isaac were probably very close. When she died, even though it wasn't a surprise for him, it had to be hard for Isaac. Pastor Daniel will show that although not much is said about Isaac, something important is known about his spiritual life. What you'll find out will be something that the Bible encourages you to have as a part of your daily life too, as it will help you when crises come. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Genesis chapter 24 as he begins his message, The Shift. I was trying as hard as I could to make it to the end of Genesis 24. It's kind of a marathon chapter, but we broke off at verse 60 of Genesis 24. Now, let's get the ball rolling on context again. We're seeing this shift from Abraham as the first patriarch and Sarah as the matriarch. And now we're seeing this shift as we're getting over to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, remember... We saw Abraham almost sacrifice Isaac, and we made the case that this is a foreshadowing of another father sacrificing a better sacrifice than Isaac, right? God the Father ultimately sacrificing Jesus, and God asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac was a foreshadowing of this. And it's interesting that at the end of Genesis 24, we have the return of Isaac, but we see Isaac again when the servant is bringing him his bride. And I made the point that that's not by chance either. If you think about the way God has worked in and through the life of Jesus, Jesus was sacrificed on our behalf. He ascended into heaven. And the next time we're going to see Jesus in his body is when he's joined together with his bride. Amen, right? That's our hope of glory, the union of Jesus with his church bodily. That's the next time. And that's exactly what we have here. So if you remember, Abraham sent his servant to go back to his family's house to go fetch a bride for his son Isaac. And remember the whole story where the servant gets there and says, Lord, will it be a woman who not only will give me a drink, but will also serve my camels? And I made the case that that's not like an easy job. What we learn is that Rebecca has a servant's heart. She takes time. She goes the extra mile. And the servant of Abraham is blown away. Not only is she beautiful, not only is she pure, but she's got a servant's heart. And then, of course, he starts to say, well, who are you? And she's of Abraham's family. And then he starts pulling out nose rings and bracelets. And then they end up back at Rebecca's house. We meet Laban. And the servant goes through this whole thing. And ultimately what happens is 
They, he says, look, I want to bring Rebecca back to Abraham's house to marry Abraham's son, Isaac. Will you go? And she says, yes. And then they start lavishing gifts. And then the next morning, Laban's like, hey, 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 hold on. Maybe we shouldn't go yet. Let's hang out here. And I keep making this case all through the book of Genesis, the necessity of instant obedience. You think about what Jesus said to Judas on the Last Supper, what you do, do quickly. And it's interesting that Oswald Chambers, in my utmost for his highest, takes that same concept in speaking about instant obedience and says, what God calls you to do, do quickly. So often God asks us to do things, and if we don't do it quickly, we never do it, right? It's like we know we ought to do it, but as time goes by and as we've done such a good job of dragging our feet, then dragging our feet becomes the norm. And we don't ever step into the things that God asks us to do. And Abraham, with all of his mistakes, has done a great job of modeling instant obedience. God's asking me to do this, I just do it. What's fascinating is, is that when Rebecca, she's ready to go, her family's like, hey, take some time, don't go right now. In verse 58 of Genesis 24, it says this, then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, now look at what it says here in verse 60, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Now this is fascinating because before she leaves, they speak blessing and prophecy over her. Think what they say to her. They say, Rebecca, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. And we've seen this, like Sarah before her in Genesis 17, 16, that there will be a huge offspring, a mighty nation. Not only that, but that they would also possess the gates of those who hate them. So they would prosper among their enemies. Now, I pray that all of us believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He is God, the third person of the Trinity. Just as we believe that Jesus is God, we believe in his ministry, we believe in God the Father and his ministry, I pray that we really trust in the Holy Spirit and we believe that the Holy Spirit can work in our day in miraculous ways. I don't know about you guys, but when we were singing How Great Is Our God during the worship service, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was wanting to do something in our hearts. To pour through our lives in giftings and power. Now, oftentimes, we have this idea of prophecy because they're speaking prophetically over her life. And I pray that we don't despise prophecy. Not only biblical prophecy, but prophecy spoken to us directly about our own lives. Just this week, I got an email from somebody. I don't know if I've ever met this person before, but I got an email, and there was some very specific words for me in that email. And what I have learned in my life is that I shouldn't dismiss it or overly embrace a prophetic word. I simply need to file it in the, if this is God, this is going to work out. If this is God, it will happen. So I don't just dismiss it or I don't just embrace it because it's not in the Bible. But I'm open. Now, for Rebecca, 
she's not going to see the fulfillment of this in its totality, but it's going to happen. Now look at what happens in verse 61. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. Now Isaac came from the way of Beer Lahai Roy. Now if you're a microbrewist, you might want to use that as a microbrew name, Beer Lahai Roy. For he dwelt, in the middle of verse 62, for he dwelt in the south, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening and lifted his eyes and looked, and there the camels were coming. Then Rebekah lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel, for she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, imagine this. Rebekah is coming, but Isaac doesn't know that. He knows that the servant was sent away, but he doesn't know that she's come. But what's Isaac doing with his free time? He's meditating in the field. See, this is a glorious testimony. Out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three main patriarchs of the book of Genesis, we get the least amount of details about the life of Isaac. But we do get this, that Isaac is in the field meditating. In the Hebrew, the idea of this word is to bend down the body or the mind. And meditation, it's unfortunate because historically in Christianity, meditation has been a very popular, common discussion. If you think about Psalm 1, and on his law, he what? He meditates day and night. Now, when you talk about meditation in church today, we have all sorts of other connotations because of the sprinkling in of the Eastern religions and their idea of meditation being the clearing of the mind. The clearing away of the thoughts. Now, i got to be honest with you. There is some merit to clearing away your thoughts. Our thought lives need to be brought under the captivity of Jesus. But God's design is not for us not to think. God gave us a mind. He gave us thoughts. And he wants our thoughts to be absolutely enraptured with the reality of who God is for us in Jesus. And so the reality is Christian meditation on the scriptures is the bowing, the humbling of ourselves and our minds to God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, that Christian meditation is like taking a cloth and leaving it in dye so that the cloth can take on the color of the dye. When was the last time in our very quick soundbite ADD culture that you meditated on a passage of scripture? That you just took one sentence and just dwelt there in your heart. For most of us, we don't do it at all, right? We're lucky if we can get a chapter in, a paragraph, a little pericope, that's the scholarly word, a little self-encapsulated thing. When was the last time you took be still and know that I am God and just dwelt there? Thought about being thought about stillness, thought about knowing, or then thought about God. 
When was the last time you took a verse and you stuck it in your pocket and you let it be your companion for a day, a week, a year? I mean, could you imagine the amount of nourishment that we could get out of something like love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind? You could spend a lifetime on that one verse and then if you had another lifetime, you could spend it on and love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? What are the implications of it? We need, like Isaac, to bend our hearts and our souls and our minds in biblical meditation and let us take on the coloring of the word of God. It's a lost art in a quick culture. Now, I'm not anti our culture. I actually very much like living here. It's a good time to be alive. And there are certain things that we have. We have access to so much information. I'm so grateful for that. I have instant connections. If I want to talk to my wife, I can pick up the cell phone. I can text her. I can Facebook her. I can do all sorts of things. I have a million ways to love on my wife by my cell phone. It's awesome. Can't go wrong with it. But there is a shadow side. Because there's nothing worse than when I'm sitting downstairs... And I decide I'm going to FaceTime my wife who's sitting upstairs. You know, it's like I'm texting my wife when she's upstairs and I'm downstairs. Hey, what are you doing up there? Oh, nothing. Just reading. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just playing my bass, you know. I could just walk up the stairs. I get exercise too. But the reality is, is that we need to meditate on the things of God. We need to soak to spend our hearts dwelling in God's word. I love this. Isaac is out there in the field, meditating, waiting on the Lord, bowing his heart and his mind before God. Now, it's beautiful here because this end of this chapter is gorgeous in its simplicity. Rebecca sees this man in the field, walking towards her, and she dismounts herself off the camel. She asked the servant, who's this, who's this coming? He said, it's my master. And it's so simple. She took a veil and covered herself. The modesty of that culture. That was the style. Women were just modest in that culture. And so she veiled herself as a sign of humility and modesty. And I love this. They just meet. And in verse 67, the simplest discussion of marriage. Look at this. Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. Husbands and wives, listen. Single people who want to get married, verse 67 is perfect. It's perfect. Look. Brought her into his house, his mother's tent. He took her and she became his wife. And he loved her. You know, we can have a million marriage seminars, but none of it actually says it as good as that. Man, just love each other. Say, God, how do you want me to love this person? It's so simple. It's so elegant. It's so almost you could just be like, oh, yeah, let's just keep going. Yeah, he took it. No, he loved her. He loved her. And not only that, it says that he was comforted after his mother's death. 
See, marriage is about two people, the two becoming one flesh, being together with mutual love and comfort. Could you imagine how our marriages would be revolutionized if we just said, hey, we're just going to love each other and comfort each other? See, that's the way Satan goes at marriages. He makes you think you're on different teams. He makes you think that you want different things. When really all God wants is for two people to come together in love and comfort. And it's so simple, and it's so easy to miss the elegance of the simplicity of what this means here. They came together, he loved her, and he was comforted. Now, as we move into chapter 25, look at what happens. It says in verse 1, Abraham again took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, Joksan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Akshan begot Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Leshim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanach, Abadiah, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Now, we find out here that after Sarah died, Abraham again took another wife. Her name is Keturah, which in that language meant incense. And if the chronology is correct that Abraham again took a wife, which means after the death of Sarah, that they would have mean, they probably would have been married for about 37 years because Abraham was 138 when Sarah died. And we're going to see in a second that he died at 175. So probably a span of about 37 years. And he's got a number of children. Now, I mean, you got to love the strength and energy of Abraham. I mean, I didn't write this stuff, but I mean, I'm, I mean, like, you're just like, good on you, Abraham. You know, and, and I just get excited about life. I mean, how can you go wrong with this? There's no slowing down for Abraham. And I, you know, I, listen, I pray for those of us who are more seasoned, who've seen more times around the sun, that you all say, God, give me the strength of Abraham. Give me the strength of Caleb. You know, that's why I love Pastor Bill and the Next Step Ministry. It's so cool. There's some folks in our fellowship who have retired, and their retirement is more strategic and impacting than their non-retirement. Because they're saying, look, I got things that God has for me to do. And Abraham, he's just going for it. You know, and again, this is the fulfillment of Genesis 12 too. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And Genesis 17, 4, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of many nations. And here we see between Ishmael and all the sons of Ishmael, which we've already seen. Now we have Isaac and we're going to be seeing his family. And now we have all of the descendants he has from Keturah. It's all being fulfilled. Now, figuring out who all these people are and where they end up is very challenging because certain names like Joktan and Dedan 
and Sheba. We've already seen these names in Genesis chapter 10. So in the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, you get some of these names, and now you get Abraham's descendants with these same names. And then it makes it really hard. You're like, well, which Sheba and Dedan, if you read your Bible, you'll see them pop up from here and there. Uh, Midian, of course, you think of the Midianites who Gideon defeated in Judges chapter 6, Moses' wife, as well as Jethro. They were both Midianites. We find in Numbers 22 and 31, the Midianites were the enemies of the Jewish people. But who these nations end up being, we really don't know. But what's interesting about it is that we get all these names, and then in verse 5 it says, and Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, and while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. What does all this mean? This shows the primacy, the supremacy, God's purpose in Isaac being the called son, the chosen one of the lineage of Abraham. Although he had all these other kids, everything he had, he gave to Isaac. He did bless these other nations, these other uh, children of his, but he sent them away so that Isaac could do what God had called him to do. It's interesting that they explain all this. They give us all this information and they remind us, listen, all that he had went to Isaac except what he gave to the other sons. Now, in our 21st century American views on how family should run, we think this is pretty awful. And kids bring their brothers and sisters to court over inheritances that look like this. But it's different for Abraham. There was no court to say, I don't like my daddy's will or whatever. This is just the way it was. Now in verse 7, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his son Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heath. There Abraham was buried and Sarah, his wife. And it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac and Isaac dwelt at Beer Lahai Roy. Now, you see here where it says quite simply that the sum of the years of Abraham's life, this is not a good translation of the Hebrew. It's actually... They got the concept right, but in the Hebrew, it literally says, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. Now, you see why they translate it as, you know, this is the sum of his, the years of his life, right? Could you imagine if you read, this is the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived? But the rabbis love the original Hebrew because what it means is that a good life is lived a day at a time. Jesus is... It's hard to lose a parent, especially your mother. There's so much history between a mother and child, and certainly there was between Isaac and Sarah. Pastor Daniel showed the value of having someone to come alongside you and comfort you, which is what Rebecca did for Isaac. This was a good example for married couples of how to be toward each other, which will help them survive the difficulties of their lives. Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? 
Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will continue his teaching called The Shift. You're going to see the death of Abraham as Isaac takes on the role of patriarch and carries forward the promise that God had made to his father. You'll learn that just like everyone else, Isaac had to develop his own relationship with God. One of the ways he's going to do that is through hardship, just like everyone else does. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through his series called Patriarchs. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.